0: this edition of Create the Village, you know, over the past four years, I watched mainstream media really hijack the rural narrative. We're not all white. We're not all Republican. Some of us are educated, and and um, and, and we're just as capable as anyone else in this country.
1: My name is Egbert Perry. I'm the CEO and founder of the Integral Group, a real estate company that focuses on creating value in cities and rebuilding the fabric of communities.
0: This is Create the Village, a podcast about the intersection of public policy and community development.
1: Okay, good day, good day, good day, audience. This is a little bit of a twist for for this podcast from what we've been doing before, and so I'm looking forward to the difference in this, but the importance of it. We've been, on this podcast, much more urban-focused. It's urban, 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 and that's um, been the tenor and background for much of what we've discussed to date, even though we have touched slightly on the COVID impact in rural space just at a very, very high level. But we often forget the essentiality of rural communities to the health, well-being, and competitiveness of our state. So our guest today is Sherry Powell, and she's the founder and executive director of Rural America Chamber of Commerce. Sherry is a proud native of rural Alamo, Georgia, and has been a longtime advocate for sustainable rural economic development policies and initiatives. She founded Yours Rurally, in 2020 it's a company that offers curated gift boxes that feature premium high utility products that are sourced exclusively from rural america now sherry is really a policy person as well and sherry has about two decades of policy analysis regulatory analysis and public policy experience She's been responsible for formulating and executing legislative and regulatory outreach strategies and securing policy and budgetary wins at local, state, and federal, as well as international levels in both the public and private sector and in relation to various industries, including aerospace and defense, uh, insurance, financial technology, et cetera. Sherry began her career as a staffer at Capitol Hill. And on the Hill, she worked for both Congressman Ed Pastor from Arizona and Senator Zell Miller from Georgia, and later spent five years at Northrop Grumman Corporation uh, here in Georgia as manager of government affairs. Um, She graduated from UGA with a bachelor's degree, I should say University of Georgia, with a bachelor's degree in political science, and earned her Master's of Business Administration from the Robert Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. She founded Rural America Chamber of Commerce in 2021, so a recent, fa- recent founding. The Chamber's mission is to provide opportunities and visibility for rurally situated entrepreneurs through networking, education, mentorship, partnership, and collaborations. Sherry, I know I didn't do it justice, but did I miss anything that you'd like to add for this audience before we get into sort of the Q&A part of the podcast?
0: That that was beautifully done. That was beyond beautifully done. Thank you so, so much for that. Um, my favorite part of that bio is that um, I am indeed a proud native of Georgia, um, specifically rural Georgia. And it's just um I I love talking about that part of of who I am. So I'm I'm happy that you you mentioned that.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, and you know, it's Alamo, Georgia. So that's that's different as well. The old Alamo, right? (laughs) So now congratulations, by the way, on the founding of Rural America Chamber of Commerce. And so why don't you, for the audience, just tell us what's happening in rural America and why is now the time to launch this new Chamber of Commerce?
0: Sure. um f- well first, just thank you so much for for this opportunity. um what a what a treat. It feels in some ways like a homecoming. Um, I will say that I do um I will be very careful during this conversation, just given the fact that i I have tons of thoughts and observations around the amount of people who are leaving South Georgia and moving to Atlanta. And I have, I'm very sensitive around that. So I will, I will show a degree of diplomacy um, (laughs) around that topic. Um, But I, you know, in in complete and total candor, I think that this chamber and this focus um, that we are setting out to the work that we're setting out to do is long overdue. Um, I think this is work that should have been started on a holistic level years, decades ago. Um I I, I there's, you know, I, I am always intentional in saying that 2020 was a pivotal year, but what we're doing is not necessarily in response to that year alone. There's decades and decades of systemic issues and challenges that that need to be addressed. And um and and, and complete I just I'm I'm humble enough in saying that this should have been done years ago. Um, this should have been stood up years ago. And our, our focus is exclusively on rural based entrepreneurs and business leaders. And it's a demographic that's been ignored too long. And so um, it's timely, but overdue. So Sherry, with
1: that, let's, so before we get too far into this, then um, we all have our definitions for urban and rural and so on. So let's agree on the definitions. So Atlanta is encircled by a six-lane highway, so 285, of course. For many people, anything outside that perimeter is considered rural. Obviously, there are other definitions to rural. So what's the definition you're using to identify rural America as you speak to
0: it? Sure. Um, so there are over a dozen d- definitions within the federal government for what rule is. And the chamber rested on the definition that's truthfully the most simple. And that's the census definition of a community that, um, includes 50,000 or less, less residents. And so, and you all may know that there's currently, um, a request for comments around this exact issue because there is a move to change that definition to include um, the threshold to 100,000. I actually checked last night to see how many comments um, for the regulatory process have been submitted and they are over almost 400 at this point. Um, but we, for the chamber's purposes, we are sticking to the 50,000 threshold until the government changes that if they do. It's just a clean, simple, there are a lot of, I understand the nuances, I understand the folks who disagree with that, but for the sake of clean, simple approach, that's that's the chamber's definition and threshold.
1: So fifty thousand. Okay, um, but
0: you know, and I'm actually I do want to say I, I do appreciate that question because it really is so important. I mean that the definition, the the parameters, it, it's amazing how much funding is driven on just that premise, right? And that's why I think there's so many comments um, being submitted into this regulatory process because it 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 so much depends on the definition of what rule is versus non non rule.
1: So to an outsider, um, someone outside of the rural America conversation, I know there are a lot of sometimes competing, sometimes conflicting interests and alignment of those interests under the banner of rural America or rural communities is probably difficult. So why don't you help us understand how the economic interests of, say, Rural dairy, dairy farmers in Vermont or gig economy entrepreneurs in Montana or black farmers in central Georgia all align. So what's the alignment and how does that come together?
0: So in in our view and, and in my personal view, the alignment is truthfully rooted in the fact that these entities, no matter which rural community they sit in and what their day-to-day job or focus or operations are—they are empowering this country's economy, and there is just no, there is impossible to deny that. Um, and and, it, and and again, it doesn't matter if it's a farmer, a, um, an Airbnb host in rural Oklahoma, um, or someone who's who's managing a brick-and-mortar in rural North Carolina—they are creating jobs in these small communities. And in some ways they are they underpin that local community. So the alignment is in the power they hold in terms of propelling our economy as a whole, as a country. And there's just not enough attention placed on that. Um, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, the way that this country and, and and frankly the world celebrates and acknowledges and funds and even in some ways idolize entrepreneurs who are rooted in the technology space. And that's fair and I understand it, but we have to be inclusive in terms of how we fund and think about and celebrate business owners across the board. And that means the the female entrepreneur in rural Georgia who's trying to open a cut and sew factory and and, and, and create 75, 75 jobs in that small town. Um, you know, that, that we, we have to be holistic in terms of how we we think about entrepreneurship and business owners throughout this country, because our economy depends on it. And there's no way it's impossible to to argue against that. It's um that's that's the truth.
1: Well, I, I can say in preparing for this podcast, I already had to get out of my bubble. And you know I, we all would like to think we are informed, aware, conscious. But clearly there is. I'm missing this. There's an education gap somewhere. And so yep. I'm struggling with that. Let me ask one, one of the things that came up for me. Uh, I think about Atlanta, the Carolinas, parts of Florida are seeing tremendous population growth as people are relocating from these traditional economic centers. Are you seeing population increase in rural America? Uh, if so, where? What, What parts of rural America are you seeing that increase?
0: So absolutely. And, um, and I think that if there is any silver lining in this pandemic, it will be the, the opportunity that folks are now afforded in terms of remote work and what that is doing to some rural communities. Now, I think there's, there's some, there's some good in that. There's some danger in that. And we can, we can get into that, but, um, but for example, I live two and a half hours north of, of, of Manhattan. And so I've seen it, the real estate prices in this upstate New York community have just been, it, it's, it's hard to, the adjective to use in terms of describing it is hard to find. It's been um, just overwhelming and eye-popping in terms of what's happened to the real estate market here. But so many folks from the city have, they made that migration and they made it quickly after, after the pandemic started to take root um, in the U.S., and I think that's the case for many rural, small communities that are within three to four hours of a metropolitan area um, throughout the country. And so um, one of the pieces around that and one of the conversations I think we as a country will have to have soon is what responsibility do you have when you make that type of a an urban exodus? Um, what what responsibility do you have to that local rural economy that you're now placing roots? Mm. Um, should you Should you consider being a part of? the public school system in the small rural community? Should you, should you not go back to Brooklyn to do your grocery shopping at Whole Foods, but shop here locally at the, the local grocer? So there's a responsibility to that. Um, mm. There's a beauty, but there's also th- that, that, you know, there, there's some accountability around that type of move. But, but for sure, we're seeing that trend across the country.
1: So, so I'm taking it from what you said and sort of inferred. I, I wanted to ask if the so-called gig economy is impacting rural America or or rural economies across the country. And um, are those businesses benefiting from this flexibility that's provided by this new structure and what it offers to workers? I assume, I sort of heard, yes, that there is some of that movement taking place if it's close enough to the major uh, urban centers. So what are the examples of gig businesses That uh, that you think are emerging, or you can see are emerging, in rural America.
0: The first industry that comes to mind, Mr. Perry, is for sure the hospitality and. and I know you didn't
1: just call me, Mr. Perry.
0: I did. Uh, It's that. Please,
1: Sherry. (laughs) And and I think we go back twenty plus years. Uh, Please, it's Egbert. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, very, very good. I, I'm going to blame that on the Alamo roots, whereby if my grandmother. <laughs>
1: I understand. I'm from a little, little town, little, little country. And you know, I sometimes can't shed the sir and ma'am Thing, so I get it but no please let's not do that
0: very very good um, my, my grandmother would be um, upset had I done otherwise um, <laughs> okay. but for sure in terms of hospitality um, lodging I in thinking of the gig economy I've seen, Firsthand, what Airbnb hosts, how their lives have truly been changed from an economic standpoint over this past year, where you know it's good news for them, and you know folks are renting out their properties and and have done really well this past year because um, because again of the of the exodus from from the big cities. And so that, that is for sure the first that comes to mind because there are tangible examples. I see that actually two doors down from where I live. Um, so it's, um, again, there's a responsibility there that I think we always have to keep top of mind. But it is good news for the, for those hosts. It's working. Um, and it's, I, I don't see that ending anytime soon. Um, because folks are you know folks are taking roots here, and so while a family who lived in Portland, Oregon is now moving to rural Oregon to look for schools, they're 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 staying in these Airbnb's long term, and so that's just putting money in the pockets of the host. So I I do see it as a good news story um, in, in some ways.
1: So that, but you're getting to something here because historically we all know that property values follow. Uh, are very closely linked to quality of education and so on. So in metropolitan areas, we know that that school quality does drive real estate values in a meaningful way, Um, probably top of the food chain in terms of what people look at when they're trying to locate. They look at the quality of the school and so on. And correspondingly, that drives up the values. And my sense is, that other factors drive rural real estate values. I may be wrong and still a novice in understanding that environment, but most American families, of, of course, are concerned about quality of public education in their community. So as you're thinking long-term about building and advocating for rural economic development, the uh, Envision supporting in rural communities who are battling brain drain. A lot of people leave and move to the big city and where the brightest students leave and never return, our rural economies finding it difficult to secure qualified workers.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and absolutely. It's um, <laughs> okay. it's uh, I we did a survey. You know, the chamber is five weeks old, but we have surveyed some of our um, members around the largest pain point that they are currently experiencing, and the second item on the list is. Um, is around um, um, the labor force. It's that that's what that's the pain that folks are feeling. And then, you know, the other side of that is that we talk about the importance of job creation, but mm-hmm. it's hard to to ha- it's hard to have that conversation when you're when your labor force it's just not is just not where um, where where it should be. And so that for sure, a piece of that is the brain drain that that so many of these communities are are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually and I hate to keep bringing up the pandemic, but again when we're thinking about silver linings that is um that's a piece of it because so many young folks are returning home um, mostly for need around financial um financial need their job losses in the city has are pushing some of them home but i think there can be also a good news story um mm-hmm. there's you know if we create the opportunities there's now a higher likelihood that we can attract talent um on the ground in these local communities that's going to take time but the trends are starting to move in that direction, um, but it's so, it's. So
1: Sherry, so regarding the pandemic, um, a medical professional uh, recently told me that despite all the media attention about the impact of COVID nineteen on people of color in urban centers in American cities, uh, it's the rural communities where there's a much deeper impact that well, much deeper impacts that have occurred as a result of COVID-19. Is that what you're seeing as well?
0: Absolutely. Oh, wow. and, and, I, and I will say, Egbert, that the, the issue is it's not in terms of how these rural communities and rural health systems have responded to, to the pandemic. The truth of the matter is that pre-pandemic access to health, quality healthcare in these communities was, was already on thin ice for decades over the past 10 years, um it's been I think since 2010 almost 120 hospitals throughout rural America have have closed. And another 20 to 25% are on the fin- on the brink of closure because of financial distress. And so we were already walking on thin ice in this regard and the pandemic just exacerbated it and it's I think there's more to come in terms of challenges and hardships because We've seen over the past year, and this is this is nationwide, where folks have have not addressed routine health issues because of COVID, and so that's going to catch up with us soon, right? And so uh, okay. it's a system that is was already un, under so much stress, and what's to come, I think, in the next um, year to five years is 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 discouraging and frankly frightening. Um, on top of that, to make matters worse. When you go back to the issue that you you just brought up around um, the labor force, I mean, some of these nurses and medical professionals who have worked under so much stress this year, both in terms of the pandemic and then the health financial constraints of their 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 hospitals, you know, folks are leaving. I mean, they just can't, they're just leaving. Yes. It's hard enough to attract the talent. And now what you have attracted is leaving. It's, it's dire. Mm. It really is. Um
1: and and so is there the same disproportionate impact on the communities or the people of color communities in rural areas just as we're seeing it in the urban centers as as well
0: absolutely and i and i would say those are for the same reasons in terms of the situation and the 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 conditions pre pandemic it was already there. It was already a, a sore that already existed, and now it's just to the point of, 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 of being dire in nature. And that's, um, you know, that's in terms of access. That's in terms of quality. Um, in terms of healthcare. And it's, um, and it just doesn't. It doesn't get attention. I mean, I, and we can get into this later. But I truly believe, in my quietest moments, that Black rural Americans are one of the most indivisible demographics in this country. Mm along the lines of education, health, economics, in every regard, I I believe that. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have stood this chamber up. That's why I'm in this. That's why I'm doing this. That's my why. Um, It is in terms of supporting entrepreneurs, supporting economic revitalization. But for me, the social piece is also my driver. Um,
1: That's pretty invisible since there's already invisibility in the urban centers. So... Uh, to say it's even more invisible um, is is really a hell of a statement, but I get it. Um, so I don't know where I saw it, but you were quoted once uh, recently saying that when our economy is challenged, rural areas are just as hard hit, hard hit as cities, and often more so because rural America in many ways lacks the survival and recovery resources available to metropolitan areas. And the past year has been no exception. And so I get that. And especially as a result of the conversation we've been having, um, what are the greatest misunderstandings you think that are held by metropolitan populations about rural communities, especially in the areas of economic, social, and demographic factors?
0: Oh, I, it's hard to know where to start when we start to think <laughs> about <laughs> stereo, stereotypes and wow. misconceptions and um, and you know and really just falsehoods. There, there are just so many. And so, and and some of that. And, and this is the point that you made earlier. You know, it's not blame. It's just because we live we live our lives and we live in our bubbles. And it's you know it's hard to expect folks to take time to sit and understand. Um, Some of my closest friends are the most worldly, most educated, most well-traveled people in this country. And when I have conversations with them about the fact that a group of students in the town where I grew up have truly lost an entire year of education this past year because they just don't have access To high speed internet at home, it's hard for people to understand that's happening in the United States of America today. And so, again, it's not blame. It's just if that's not the life you live, then you just don't know. And so, um, so but to go back to to the question around um, sort of the the beliefs, you know, one of the things that have come up, and I, you know, I'm, I'm 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 bold in bringing this up, but I will because it's the truth. You know, over the past four years, I watched mainstream media um, really hijack the rural narrative. Um, we're not all white, and we're not all Republican, and we—some of us are educated, and and, um, <laughs> and and we're just as capable as anyone else in this country. And so, um, but that narrative is real, and there, it 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 can create it can create dangerous situations, as I think we've seen over the past recent years. And so we have got to, we we, we're responsible for bringing this to surface and having conversations and really changing these belief systems because they can get us in a lot of trouble as I think we've seen.
1: Uh, So Sherry, you know, I, it goes without saying, and based on what we've been talking about, it, it should be even more obvious to those to whom it wasn't obvious before. What you're doing is a heavy lift, a very, very heavy lift. And I assume you agree with that. You you said, and I really want to lift up the chamber at this point, you said that the rural America chamber wants to empower rural entrepreneurs to become advocates for their economies and their communities. You're not a traditional chamber of commerce, and you're not afraid to dig into real issues. We're going to talk about things like racism in America and other very difficult, sensitive, but essential to discuss topics. Um, so do you agree with my assessment that this is not just a heavy lift, but an unusually heavy lift? And what are you anticipating to be the outcomes of the work that you're doing at the chamber?
0: I absolutely agree that it's heavy. It's, um, it's, a, it's an incredibly heavy lift, it's bold, uh, it's audacious, and it complete candor, it's scary. Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just be truthful in saying that it's, um, it is scary because it is very non-traditional, but it's necessary. And if we were not going to do the the hard stuff, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I, I, Probably be, go go back into corporate and just get a job I, I just that's that's the driving piece for me and um and one of the things that I think one of the ways that i like to to talk about this issue um Egbert, is around the idea that so many of us and 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 I know this will resonate with you we you know it's easy for us to to sit in our homes and say fortune five hundred or fortune two fifties they have the responsibility to ensure equity and rule, you know, in, in the United States, in the world. They have the responsibility to invest um, according to according to a fair model. They have the responsibility to be sure their leadership looks a certain way. It's easy for us to say what they should do, but we also have to think about what we should be accountable for and the responsibility we hold. And so, I think as a rural business owner, we have those same responsibilities in our rural communities. We have a social contract with our, our small towns. And that's, that's yes, supporting the local high school, the Rotary Club, um, providing trophies for, for the local football team. But it also means creating a safe, healthy, equitable, social, socially equitable, equitable place for the residents who live there. And so as business leaders, that's our responsibility and it's time to lean into that. And that's part of the work that the chamber is going to do uh, fearlessly because we we believe it. And um,
1: uh, how has it been received so far?
0: So one of the things that I have been saying every opportunity I can, and this is both externally to our board of directors, truthfully to anyone who will listen, is the idea that this is scary and this is hard, but we have to be truthful about what we are aiming to do. Because when we do that, we attract folks who also feel that it's the right thing to do. Sure. And it, I don't care if our membership numbers are low in two years and three years. As long as we're attracting the folks who believe that this is the right way forward, then we're doing exactly what we should be doing. Um, We don't exist for everybody. We don't exist for every rule business owner, every rule entrepreneur. We exist for the ones who know that this is part of their work and part of their responsibility to carry forward.
1: So how would you know that you're being impactful? How do you measure impact?
0: So that that's that's a very good question. Um, and, And part of that. Along the lines of entrepreneurship and capital and, and and enterprise that's going to be a little easier to measure it's It's really which members can are getting funded which ones um are able to grow their business to stay in business that's easy to measure the social stuff is hard um, <laughs> yes. and 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 we're all we have to start we have to start slow right we have to meet people where they are that's okay um, that's i think that's across the board no matter whether you're rurally focused or urban focused or et cetera, we have to, you know, we, it is, it's just conversations at this point. Um, and it's just bringing some of these issues to surface. Our first events two weeks ago, it was our first event as a chamber and it was racial reconciliation throughout rural America. And there are a yeah. lot of folks who said, don't do that. It's too soon. It's yeah. too early. You're going to turn people off. No one's going to join. And we did it anyway. And, um, and I, and I think it was, it went well, it was fruitful. It was a, um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a situate, uh, an environment where we can just talk, right? It wasn't, nothing was broadcast on mainstream TV. No, no one was, it was a judgment-free zone.
1: Nobody was acting.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <Right. laughs> and the beauty of this virtual environment too, Egbert, is that as a viewer, you can sit in the comfort of your own home and process these topics that are hard to talk about. They're hard, they're hard. Mm-hmm. but take the spotlight, take the social media, take the judgment out of it and just be at peace with working through these issues. And that's what that event allowed people to do. And, and I'm proud of it. And we're, we're just getting started. Uh, we're going to keep doing this.
1: Isn't there a little bit of a contradiction in you being one to take this on? So much of your professional career, has been based in D.C. You've worked for some of the most influential politicians in Washington. Your experience in those positions obviously will work for your members as you advocate on their behalf. But I have always been, well, not always, but certainly in the recent past, have been led to believe that rural Americans have given up on government. And whether government is really in their corner Working on their behalf. So, what are the ways that the chamber will leverage the national, state, and local governments to assist rural American businesses?
0: So, um, I, I so I do agree agree with that assessment in terms of giving up on government, and it's it's um, it's uh, it's a fair assessment, and it's um, and for folks who feel that way, that's also fair. I get it. It's hard to, to mm-hmm. argue against that. But we can't, you know, we we can't make progress and we can't move forward and get things done without those entities involved. Big corporations are not co- co- coming to save these communities. I mean, they're just not. The private sector is not coming to save us. Entrepreneurship is and will, and we need government assistance to to, to, to propel and help with that. Um, so we just have to be honest about the fact that it's hard to, to do alone because that's not that hasn't worked and it's not going to work. and I do think that is the skill set that I myself and our board will bring to this conversation and to this work is that most of us do have expertise and experience around working with the public sector and other stakeholders to move initiatives um both funding wise and policy wise um so we are you, to your point you
1: getting the support at the Governmental level. I know it's early in the journey on the work of the chamber, but in terms of the early signs,
0: absolutely. Okay. And I think, Egbert, that's not um, that's not a testament to to our backgrounds or our skills or our talent. I think it's a testament to the need of an organization like this, mm-hmm. an organization that's focused exclusively on these communities, um, on on rural issues, on rural America. Um, at a national holistic level, I think that the validation is in in the chamber in our mission, not on on the players, if that makes sense. Uh, but we have we have for certainly received um, a a warm response and a bunch of energy around options to collaborate and partner and drive impact, right? Because that's that's the core of all of this is really impact and results, and so people are. Coming from the woodworks in terms of how we can get that done, and we're thrilled about it. Frankly, if I'm being completely honest, I'm a bit unprepared for it. Um, I, I, this response has been overwhelming, um, and in some ways, we were we were underprepared for 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 the response to stand this organization up. But but it's great, and we're excited about about what's to come. The bottom line is there's just so much. There's so many opportunities because there's so much need. In every, in every way, the need is just is great and growing.
1: I admire what you're doing. I know when you're doing something that's for which there's not readily accepted market permission to do, so you're creating new direction and so on, it's a, that in and of itself is a heavy lift. And given that the mainstream dialogue sends a very different message, you're also trying to, fight that so i appreciate and applaud your efforts i can tell you that you've already changed the lens in my glasses (laughs) okay um in terms of how i perceive the issues or challenges in rural america and also how i will listen to what i hear in the media um and so Uh, this this is very interesting and intriguing for me and i i want to thank you for that and the work that you're doing um sherry is there anything else as we close out that you'd like to say to the listeners i I, you've already said a lot that i know that is that is new for them but is there something that you you would leave as a part in message
0: So, so there are two, two things, if, if I may. And, um, and one is the example, or or along the lines that you just mentioned, Egbert, or along, um, just in terms of how we think about and how we filter what we hear in our mainstream reporting and media. One thing that I, I just learned, um, a couple of weeks ago, which truthfully surprised me and it made me put my own stereotypes in check was when we think about what happened on January the 6th in Washington DC at the Capitol, um, I certainly had some some ideas around that entire situation and I had some, you know, I was doing my own labeling and my own stereotyping and just two weeks ago I learned because someone did the due diligence around the idea that the majority of those folks who did what they did were from urban suburban areas. and. And I admit that that surprised me. And so it's um, you know, we're all guilty of our what we hold inside in terms of stereotypes, but the media adds to that, right? And so mm-hmm. it's um thankful I'm thankful for people who do that research and then share it and educate us. But I only mention that to say that someone who considers themselves um a proud rural American and a proud rural advocate, even I wrestle with this uh, mm-hmm. because that's what. That's what mainstream has done to so many of us, and so, um, so, so I, I appreciate the point that you made. But I just want to say that we're all on that we're all on that journey and all doing that work, right? Uh-huh. Um, the other thing that I, I will say is that you know, just in terms of your, your listening audience, is um, I, I truthful believe that we all have rural roots and rural connections no matter where we live today and what we're focused on today, especially in a state like Georgia and states throughout the Southeast, you know, there's so many rural communities that are majority black and you would just never know it because no one ever talks about it. No one ever celebrates it. Um, And so that's also a part of, you know, the work that this chamber is going to do. It's let's celebrate these stories. We all have ownership in these communities. And you know, we all have roots there and they they deserve to be acknowledged. So that's just one thing I'd love to share with, with your um with your listeners because I, I know I know the Atlanta contingent is strong, but <laughs> my my yes. guess is that ninety eight percent of Atlanta residents, their their roots, their history, their heritage goes back to to the to a rural community in the southeast.
1: Yes. And from my very strong southern accent you can tell mine to do as well right (laughs) (laughs) no sherry thank you so much this is quite a treat i enjoyed it um learned a lot and keep on soldiering on i think you you have the commitment and personality that will attract the support and so i know you'll be successful so thank you so much
0: and thank you for the opportunity absolutely thank you Create the Village is produced by Rick White. Directed and edited by Brennan Robison. Create the Village is a production of The Integral Group, LLC. Copyright The Integral Group.